So for those who don't know, intentionally blank, provisional title, uh, <laughs> uh, where it came from is years and years ago, we're at FanX, which is the Salt Lake City comics pop culture convention thing. Years ago, they just scheduled Dan and me for a panel and they're like, what do you want to talk about? And we just are like, ah, we'll figure something out. So they just called it the Dan and Brandon show. And we showed up at the panel and just goofed around for an hour and people liked it. Yeah. And so we started scheduling them more and more often. And then finally I'm like, ah, let's record these and like put them on YouTube and, it. and lose money on them because we will pay for more AV equipment <laughs> and time from people that it actually makes. But you know, that, that's 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 but why you do memories podcasts. will last a lifetime. We need to record podcasts now so that 20 years from now we can do a different podcast about this podcast. That's right. <laughs> We're going to do a reaction podcast. Mm. So we should just call our podcast live from Fanex, except when it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> live from Fanex most of the time, by which uh, we mean once a year. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. So uh, you have a food heist, Dad. I do. Which one do you want to hear first? The kind of heartwarming one or the ridiculous one? Heartwarming, then ridiculous next episode. Okay. We'll start with heartwarming. So mm -hmm. this happened in Michigan. Okay. Oh, wait. First, we have to say food heist. Okay. Now we can do it. So in when Michigan, did that start? I, I was not in the loop on that one. I don't have to run everything past you. <laughs> We're singing on the podcast now. Uh, He's doing his own thing. Well, in the episode that went up, I think just this week, or maybe it was last week. Did you? And sing we that? said we need a food heist jingle, okay. so that was the food heist jingle okay. that All I right. just came up with. All right, go ahead, Crunk. Just now. <laughs> so in Michigan, remember back when we were talking about food heists, there was a community garden, and somebody stole three hundred pounds of vegetables from it, and we know it was a heist because they have like cameras where in the middle of the night, a guy zooms up on a bike and looks around and then six other people with flashlights run in and they load up their backpacks with vegetables and they take off. And so this was kind of very sad because this community garden is kind of specifically designed to give vegetables, fresh food to food banks. And so there was a local something or other, like a restaurant that donated a ton of food to the food banks to make up for it. But it was really cool in the little article because they're also talking about how, you know, if this were somebody stealing a billion dollars worth of pistachios or something, clearly they're in it for the money. When you just steal vegetables out of a garden, it's probably because you're hungry. And so they donated a bunch of extra stuff to the food banks to help, you know, people who are so desperate that they're stealing food out of gardens. So I thought that was kind of touching. Did they leave any of the vegetables that were really like... Okay, get the carrots. Okay, get the tomatoes. But leave those radishes yeah. for crying out loud. <laughs> Nobody eats those. I don't know if they did. I would like to think that maybe they left like just one giant yam as a calling card, like a Batman villain. I am convinced that beets aren't a real food and it's a prank that the entire world is playing on me, right? Like, I can't believe people look at those. All right, who told? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that, that's food. I'm like, okay, it's bleeding. And it's a vegetable. That's wrong. It's trying to convince me it's a steak, right? 
That's the food heist. That's the food heist. That's yeah. very heartwarming. It was very heartwarming. It's a very heartwarming theft of someone's food that they were growing well, for the impoverished. The heartwarming after the fact that somebody donated the stuff. Uh huh. That was the heartwarming part. It is heartwarming. That's a nice food heist. So today's episode. Yes. I have something very special. I'm so excited. So I have mentioned before that I keep a file on my hard drive. It's actually on my Dropbox, and it's called cool stuff that I need to use sometime, right? And you might assume because of that title that it is filled with cool stuff. One would draw that conclusion. But what it often is filled with is, do you have this, Dan? I will wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I was thinking about this cool thing last night as I was drifting. I better write it down. Or the, you know, you're at a panel and you like jot down a note of some really great idea you have. Mm -hmm. And then you look back at it later and you're like, was it though? Yeah. Uh, and it's because in my head, there's always context attached to it at the point when I write it down. And so I know what I mean when I say whatever dumb thing. Mm. And then I read it a year later with no context whatsoever. And it's just like a uh, very short person dancing. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. <laughs> to this day, there's one I was in Australia. Ever done the Australian supernova conventions? No, I've um, never been to Australia. No, you should do them. We should poke them and say, I you guys should. need to have Dan come. Bring me over to Australia. So I was at the supernova convention, which is a comic con like mm -hmm. this. And to this day, I feel like I had a really awesome idea. Just a really, really, this one didn't even make it to the thing. So it's not even on my list. Like if I look back, I'm like, oh man, that idea. Like I, on the panel, I must've been bored because I like wrote a whole book in my head, right? <laughs> While someone else was talking, you know. Um, maybe one of the famous, I will not mention their name, other fantasy science fiction authors who like to talk a lot was on the panel with me. And I'm just, but afterward that night, all I could remember of it was alternate dimension. Which is not much to it's, go it's off. It's a little sparse in yes. detail. Mm -hmm. And I still look back and I'm like, that book was so great. And now it's gone. It's, it's vanished. And I bet it was terrible. But... but somewhere in an actual alternate dimension, there's a version of history where you wrote it. Yeah. And it killed your career. <laughs> That's a little preview of our next episode. Because we're going to do two of them here. Our next episode is going to be alternate timelines of our lives. Do we have two hours for this? Yeah, we've got two hours. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's why I warned you about two episodes. Uh, I know, but things. I, okay. Mm. I didn't realize. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. All right. Ready to go down this? Yes. You ready to critique? So excited. All right. So this is quintessential. Oh, I should mention this list is self-selecting for bad ideas because the good ideas get used right? And then I delete them from the list. And then the bad ideas just kind of hover there. And so here's your first one. Okay. This, is, this is endemic. I simply wrote down Vikings versus Cthulhu. Okay, but I would read that. I just, you would read a book with those three words? I would. I wouldn't oh, necessarily enjoy it. Um, I mean, it sounds awesome. The trouble is it writes itself which means that there's no inherent originality. There's got to be Vikings versus Cthulhu. Yeah, I haven't looked. There's got to be a hundred There's got to be something. And so you would have to come up with another spin on it to make it more than just, oh yeah, Vikings with Cthulhu. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could do a total Cthulhu pastiche, right? Because if you haven't read The Call of Cthulhu, it's all about a person finding the island that Cthulhu's on, blah, 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 blah. You could do that with a bunch of Vikings. Yeah. But... 
that would just be Call of Cthulhu again, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how do you change it up and make it not just, you know, Call of Cthulhu again or, you know, I mean, make it too obvious. So my friend Dave Butler said this once, that you can always tell what horror authors are afraid of by what they include in their books. And with Lovecraft, you can tell the two things he's terrified of are foreigners and fish. <laughs> which is such a wonderful description. Yes, um, I, I would agree with that. And so his characters are always very kind of milquetoast people who tremble at the sight of something they don't understand or a person whose skin is a different color and they're just like, oh no, my foundations of the world. You know what? I would actually add that he's more afraid that he's secretly a foreigner. Yeah. Right. That's getting very deep. Or secretly a fish. <laughs> And so when you do that with Vikings mm -hmm. and you find the Viking who's secretly a fish, the other Vikings would just kill him. And then like the Vikings whole deal was we're going to go find foreigners and kill them and take their stuff. Like they're not afraid of any of the same things. And so you would really have to come up with something new. You know, for years, this gives me to a different idea, which actually isn't in my list. But for years, you guys know Larry Korea, right? So I met Larry 20-something years ago when he was self-publishing before self-publishing was easy, and he wanted advice on publishing and things. Uh, if you don't know Larry Korea, like his pitch to me on his book was, people kill monsters and use accurate firearms and accurate firearms terminology in order to kill the monsters. And for years, I'm like, Larry, you should write a book about a zombie apocalypse where you treat the zombies very realistically and a bunch of you know, redneck preppers with guns. It's like those guys from Tremors versus the zombie apocalypse. And I would find that very amusing, but it removes the basic concept of a zombie apocalypse, which is zombies are scary. Sure, zombies are scary. Yeah. yeah. So it makes me wonder, like, how could you write that? How could you do a zombie apocalypse where obviously you can do comedy horror where the zombies are no longer as scary, but even those like Shaun of the Dead and stuff require you to actually kind of be afraid for the gallows humor to work. And I don't know if you could do like a zombie apocalypse story or a Call of Cthulhu story without the fear. I'm not sure. Part of me thinks it would be really fun, right? Like the idea of the Vikings are like, what, this messes everyone else up. It goes back to, I've talked about before on the podcast, I really like highly competent people being competent mm -hmm. uh, to the point that some of the stories I tell in my brain are not effective stories to write because there's not enough conflict. People in them are too good at They're solving too problems. too good at solving problems. But this gets back into that idea, like the idea of a bunch of Vikings who are just totally unafraid of the cosmic horror stuff <laughs> and are just chopping through tentacles and they're like, oh, Shub Negrov, boom, axe, you know? And like some of them are going crazy, but they're like, eh, it happens, you know? Um, yeah, you know, that's just, you know. It's just the battle madness. Yes. It takes us all sometimes. Mm -hmm. See, and the way that I would want to do that is have it be like something legitimately horrible. And, you know, they show up in England or whatever, and the English are terrified of all the monsters that are attacking them. And the Vikings are like, isn't that just normal here? <laughs> like, oh, that's a good we idea. We just came to England and there's monsters. Obviously, you're good at dealing with them. And they're right. like, no, run. They're going to get us. So in this version of the story, the Vikings have been fighting Cthuloid eldritch horrors for, you know, hundreds of years and then they finally escape and get out to the world and then the vikings show up and they're like oh yeah we're the cleanup squad and they start chopping tentacles that would be amazing okay now i'm now i'm digging this 
So we start with like the Middle Saxon period and Lindisfarna mm-hmm. and whatever, and the you know the Cthulhu monsters rise out of the sea, the deep ones, and they think that all is lost. And then the Vikings show up, and instead of pillaging, they're like, "Nope, uh, sorry, that was Bjorn. <laughs> he got loose. We're here to stop him." It's like Men in Black, Saxon edition, right? Yes, <laughs> right. Except okay. the men in black are the Vikings, and they patrol the seas to keep the Cthulhu monsters from overrunning society. So would you call that Vikings in black, or would you call it men in chainmail? <laughs> or men in horned helmets? No horned helmets. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, no, you would, because in this version of history, they have them. <laughs> See, this is the problem. These ideas are bad, and then we talk about them, and I actually want to write them. And then they sound like they're going to be cool, and they're not. Like, everyone in this room is like, yeah, please write that. I'll read it. You'll, you'll read half of it. No, no. See, you could make that good. I guarantee you could make that good. I don't know. I don't know. One of my, like, back burner books that I eventually uh-huh. want to get to is with Steve Diamond. We want to do the Saxon period of history as a zombie apocalypse. Uh-huh. So like all the least interesting ideas we just talked about lumped into one book. <laughs> Except we do it right. All right, you ready for my next bad idea? Yes, I am. Okay, this one isn't so necessarily so bad is the fact that it's just not an actual story idea, right? It's a cool, like, ooh, wouldn't this be whatever? And sometimes these show up in books, sometimes they don't. So I thought, wouldn't it be fun even after I wrote this down, by the way, someone's going to be out there and be like, oh, yeah, that's in the story. I'm sure this has been done. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was, like, an award? Like, you know how all of Ready Player One is based around this guy who created this, like, intricate whatever, which Madingi to, mm-hmm. to get his, uh, his prize, right? What if there were, like, an award set up for a hacker where the best hacker in the world has a million in Bitcoin on his laptop and you just have to hack it and take it from him? That's the prize. You get the prize by stealing his money from him. And he sets up the hacking award. Who can hack me and get my laptop? You get a million dollars. I mean, technically, isn't that true of everyone who has a million dollars? <laughs> yes. yes. If but... you can steal it, you can take it. Like, yeah, that's how ownership works. <laughs> yes, if you want to be technical about it. I just think it'd be kind of a so fun in idea. In this case, the guy would not, like, come after you? Like, well, yeah. I mean, there's that dude. Oh, boy, I'm going to get this wrong because we never look anything up. But isn't there that dude that's like, hey, here's my social security number. I run an identity theft company. See, I'm putting it on my advertisement so that I'm so confident. And then his identity got stolen, like, 72 times. <laughs> because he ran a protect your identity thing, and he put his... I think he put it on the side of a truck or something like that. Yeah, it's, anyway. It's it's like that. It's like the hacker's like, I'm the best hacker in the world. You cannot hack me. If you can, there's a million dollars. Steal my Bitcoin, whatever, bit thingy. Yeah, very technical. Um, Steal the bit thingy. Steal the bits and get the money. Bit thingy would be what I would title this book. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's actually a risque vampire novel. Nice. (laughs) Now I just want to write that one. (laughs) Okay, so since you made the initial comparison to Ready Player One, like part of the gimmick of that one is the guy who set up the puzzle 
was super obsessed with 80s pop culture to like an honestly onerous degree. Mm -hmm. So what would it be in this case? It would be bad hacking tropes from movies because all the real hackers would never try that because they try to do the real way of hacking. I don't know what it is, but as I understand it is stealing your password out of your wallet and then, you know, Mm -hmm. um, go that, yeah. So when you hack partway into his system, Mm -hmm. it automatically connects to your microphone. Mm. And then if you as the hacker do not say, I'm in, it kicks you out (laughs) immediately. Yep, yep, yep. And it has this, once you start hacking it, it has this part where you need to just go like (laughs) on your keyboard, right? Mm -hmm. To get in and you need another person on another keyboard doing that too, so that you can hack together. Yes. Yeah. Hacking at the same time yes. in a pointlessly visual interface. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the visual interface starts up, like the one from Jurassic Park or something. Yeah. She's like, goes She's and like, I know this. No, yeah. no one knows that. That's not a thing that exists. Yeah, there's a really great UI for hacking them, mm-hmm. right? Like it pops up and it's really pretty. It's really well designed. They, you know, the guy spent some, some real money on making sure your hacking experience Flying is, through 3D yeah. wireframes. Yeah, mm-hmm, yep. That's what I want to see. Did you ever see Kung Fury? No, I did not. I told you about Kung Fury, and you You have still not gone and seen it. That is true. Yes. It is free. (laughs) It got kickstarted for the world. You need to go watch Kung Fury. We need to have an episode where we talk about Kung Fury. Be warned, content warning. I do believe someone gets chopped in half and their tongue flops out. Yeah, it's very comical, but it is, uh, it is, it is a, uh, it's a parody of 80s action films made by someone from Scandinavia who just really loves American 80s action films and went really over the top and basically did it all himself. It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, okay. It's all right. in my phone now. I made a note. Okay. All right. We're going to do a Kung Fury episode because I happen to just love Kung Fury. It has Thor in it. Oh, yes. like... Chris Hemsworth or actual Thor? Actual Thor. You know, the, Who does he play in the movie? He plays himself. Oh. Yeah. He's as tall as a mountain. And, you know, he's back. There's some laser raptors and Thor's involved. That's awesome. I hope that's what it says on Thor's IMDb page. Mm. Bio, he's as tall as a mountain. Yep. Yep. All right. You ready for the next one? Yes, I am. All right. Boy who was raised by dragons goes to school. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> is the whole story about like cultural differences? Yes. It's, you know, Carrot from yeah. Pratchett, you know, mm-hmm. the man who is raised by dwarves. Kid who's raised by dragons has to go to school. He's a human boy. Yeah. Human boy raised by dragons is the idea. It's like, you know, Jungle Book, except dragons and okay. um, middle school. So his mom was a princess who was captured by a dragon and no one ever rescued her. So she just. You know, spontaneously, spontaneously generated child generated children. <laughs> <laughs> she started going and rescuing knights. Uh huh. Okay. None of them were rescuing her, and then that she got married and yeah, had a okay. beautiful baby. But then anyway, they were eaten by not dragons, uh, muskrats. Okay. Okay. I was going to suggest Vikings, but we can go with muskrats. <laughs> the Vikings are busy. They have <laughs> they to got keep stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. Cthulhu, right? So, yeah. So then he goes to school. Uh Uh-huh. And he, like, starts spitting on everybody because he thinks, you know, you're about to breathe fire. I'm helping put it out. That's what we do in dragon culture. 
They do not spit on each other. Not in your dragon culture. <laughs> Why would they spit on each other? Because <laughs> that's my favorite made-up detail from another culture. Oh, really? Yeah, I use that one whenever I teach kids because uh -huh. they always think it's stupid. Oh, well, like you probably also think it's stupid, which is why I use it's it. It's like people actually spit on each other as mm -hmm. a greeting. As a greeting. The way I usually present it is what if they came from a desert place where water was very valuable and so spitting on someone was a sign of respect that you were giving them. Oh, water. so this isn't a real thing. I thought you implied that this was like no, a real thing. No, this isn't a real thing. This okay. is something I made. I said it's my favorite made-up cultural thing. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I, I misunderstood that part. Okay. There might be an actual culture where they spit on people as a sign of respect. but I, I think they would all have died of COVID <laughs> by now. Dragon COVID. I could totally see one where you spit at someone's feet as, you know. Is the second book in this series... After he's finally fitting in at school, then COVID hits, and it's all remote, and it's hard for him to connect because he lives with a dragon. Yeah, that's going to be real easy to make and engaging. Ball. Zoom is so engaging. <laughs> hey, kids, you know your least favorite part of school? Mm -hmm. It's a book now. I want to see you write, like, a bullying scene or whatnot where he has to go shove himself in his locker <laughs> because they're just digital. <laughs> Obviously, I wrote this down amused by it, and I just ran across it when I was preparing this, and I can't remember when I wrote it down. I'm like, where did this come from? Okay, so but we're... for real, mm -hmm. I, we could totally make this one work. You think? Oh, yeah. You do a lot more middle grade and yeah. YA than I do. Middle grade fantasy about a kid raised by dragons who's trying to fit in with human culture and doesn't understand it. Easy. Like, Easy wh hit. what's the plot? Oh, the plot is that he's trying to fit in with human culture that doesn't understand it. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you need actual more than that? There's, I don't know. What do you, what do you want? Like, is this a teen problem novel? I think it thing? has to be like, I feel like you see these a lot in middle grade. At least when I'm browsing with my kids. The middle grade has a lot of taking place at school in class sort of things, right? I feel like this would be like, kid shows up and it's just, fish out of water, but you need something that the kid is trying to achieve, right? Okay. Some sort of, is it like a culture exchange program where dragons have finally discovered is real or everyone's scared of dragons? And so the dragons are like to repair our image or is it just kind of more like Jungle Book where it's like, we've raised you as best we can, but now you need to reintegrate into human culture. I mean, the thing about Jungle Book is Jungle Book doesn't cover the stuff I think would be really interesting, which is Boy raised by wolves now lives with the humans. Yeah. That's going to be interesting, mm -hmm. right? Boy raised by dragons eating a hunk of raw meat at dinner or bringing school lunch or whatever. Well, see, and this is why it's, I'm starting to think maybe this is more of a picture book. Because you put him in like preschool or kindergarten, and then every page is a new, the other kids are eating sandwiches, their moms packed them. Timmy is eating a hunk of sheep that, you know. His mom packed him. Yeah. And every, you know, it's just a bunch of illustrations of him, like, perching on things and looming. Oh, the perching. Yeah. Perching would be great. He'd be into hoarding, right? He like, would, yeah. Right? I think it's The Dragon Slippers by Jessica Day George, where dragons pick some weird, different thing to hoard. They don't all hoard gold. I, I think that's right, because one of them hoards shoes, and one of them hoards stained glass windows and things like that. Okay. So that idea's been used. So Otherwise, we can't have be... him just, like, sitting on a pile of pencils? Uh, or a pile of, like, expensive sneakers, right? That he stole from everyone mm -hmm. else. 
So, how do you have a dragon kid horde? What is a dragon kid horde? Pogs. Mm. <laughs> Can you tell how old I am now? What do kids do instead of What do kids do today? Yeah. I don't My know. kids don't they even have... torment oh. each other over having default skins in Fortnite. Yeah. I guess it's skins, isn't it? Yeah. Do you kids do Pokemon? Yes. Okay. Like, Pokemon is the great equalizer of generations, right? And I have, to be fair, found my nine-year-old sitting on a giant pile of Pokemon cards more than once. So, <laughs> Pokemon is really interesting because I love, did we talk about this? I love Magic the Evan. We, mm -hmm. we have an episode coming yeah. up where we talk a little bit about Magic. And Magic is a card game that is also collectible. And Pokemon is a collectible that theoretically has a card game attached. And every kid I know kind of knows that there are rules for it. There's numbers on the cards, mm -hmm. and no kid I know has been able to explain to me how to actually play, except you put out your Pokemon, and then big numbers, and then you win. And stuff happens. Yes. And I guarantee there's somebody in this audience who's like, I could go up and tell them how to play right now. We don't care. <laughs> no, no, no. If I'm Dan... not going to listen to my own child explain Pokemon, I'm definitely not going to listen to you. Dan doesn't care. I pretend to care. <laughs> That's I our parenting styles. I pretend to be here for you. <laughs> for the next hour or so, I will be. Yeah, and then, but then, only then in a care. deeply socially distanced sort of way. Okay, so our mutual friend Bryce, uh -huh. who's right there, he he texted Where me. Bryce? Hey, Bryce. To let me know that this idea has got a lot of crocodile Dundee overtones to it as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, Bryce, do you have any terrible ideas that you want to share with us for books you haven't read? If you think of one, come up and tell us what it is. Bryce is our mutual friend from college who decided that while he does the writer thing, he thought he would also go be a librarian so that he could shelve all of our books in the wrong sections. <laughs> That's the reason, specifically. I've got a thing against librarians. Well, I mean, they do secretly rule the world, and I mean... I actually, I have a thing against librarians, not really, but jokingly, because the only job I've ever been fired from was at a library. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys want, I'll, I'll tell you guys this job. Yeah, I, I want to hear this. So, um, I went to BYU my sophomore year, right? Freshman year, I had scholarships. Sophomore year, I didn't. Mostly my fault, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know if you guys have this. You go, your freshman year... Like, some people are Hermione, and they do really well. And the rest of us are like, wow, we, I have no constraints upon my life anymore. Woo! <laughs> right? I mean, I didn't fail out or anything like that. But my worst year of college was my freshman year. Was that you raising your hand? I actually got a full-ride scholarship and kept it. Yeah. But I graduated in three years, so I didn't, it's not as impressive, I guess. As Why is that years. not as impressive? <laughs> That's me humble bragging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, though I did do the idiot freshman thing. At one point, I woke up and I could not stop shaking. And I went to like the campus doctor thing, and he's like the checking me thing. out. Yeah, like it's like a was clinic. it a subhuman? Was it like the doctor thing? Is like I went to the homunculus. Yes, that keeps BYU students healthy. And I said, "Hey, I feel really sick, and I can't stop shaking, and I'm like always." like achy and weird and he said well what have you been eating and i said gummy worms 
And I really hadn't had more than gummy worms in about a week. And he's like, well, you let me teach you about something called vitamins. <laughs> oh, man, that runs. Okay, tangent on my tangent. Um, so when I went Title to of the podcast. BYU in the dorms, I was in, you basically, you had to have the meal plan, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to eat at the the commissary, whatever they call it or whatever. And it was kind of, you know, you, you just had to, part of your thing. But if you were an upperclassman for some reason staying in the dorms, which I don't know why anyone would do, but if you were, you were allowed to get like their flexible spending thing where you got a card mm-hmm. that- um, I had that one. Yeah. It that, was awesome. That, that just put money on it. You could go to like Pizza Hut and things like that, right? My the roommate- The campus Pizza Hut. Yeah, the campus Pizza Hut. My roommate, Tom- who's a chemical engineer, etches microchips for Intel, right? He cleans the water after they uh, etch the microchips. So okay. he's, you know, he's a sewage treatment guy. It's just, <laughs> you know, really expensive sewage. Yeah. He cleans water for a living. And he did all those AP test things. We didn't have those in Nebraska, right? Nebraska is this far off land where we know about corn and football and occasionally fancy novels if they float in off of, you know, from other lands. Um, <laughs> like but, driftwood. Yeah, he did AP. And so he came in, he'd taken like all the AP stuff. So he was an upperclassman, right? And so he had the card, even though it was, it was his first year, that said, I am, I am technically a junior in credits. None of it worked for his degree. He still had yeah. to take four years. But, Same. I yeah. started college as a junior and mm. none of the credits counted for anything. And so he had the cool card. He could be like, oh, you know, I, I can go eat Pizza Hut. You guys have to eat it, whatever, the, the thing. The cafeteria. But there was one time of year when we all got the magical card. And this is because over Christmas vacation, all the students who worked, the commissary thing left, right? And so they closed it down for two weeks. But technically, you had purchased an entire year of that. And so... Your ID card for those two weeks, money appeared on it each day. They could be used anywhere on campus. And they knew that most everyone just went home. But my friend Tom, who was an expert in now using his card, is like, you know what? I know all the vending machines on campus. And they refilled them every day. And you, 40 of my friends in the dorms with me, all have cards with money on it that is going to vanish at the end of the semester. And so he took... This many of these cards, it was, it was seriously like this. And he got two giant trunks and he pulled them around every day and <laughs> emptied every vending machine on campus. Because we each had like 40 or $50 a day uh, for food on this thing. And we came back and he had filled my room with food. That's amazing. And for like a month, we were just like, anytime anyone wanted anything, Tom had it, right? They're like, I could really use a Snickers. He opens up a trunk. He's got 70, right, Snickers right there. He's like, here you go. Uh, we had to eat the sandwiches really fast because he emptied the sandwich thing. But you would, we came back. It, it, was, it was glory for like a month. That yeah. is even better than the scam I pulled with those cards, which is... So there's three dormitories at BYU. Uh-huh. Uh, I think, I think, I don't, I don't even know what they are like today, but at the time there was three. There was Helaman Halls and Heritage Halls and Deseret Towers. And I was in Deseret Towers, which is right next to the creamery, which yeah. was the little convenience store, grocery store thing on campus. Yeah. And the cards worked there. So I went down to Heritage Halls, 
where they did not have a cafeteria, but they had their own kitchens and you had to make your own food. It was our, like, the mature students were. Yeah. Instead of the idiot that ate 20 pounds of gummy bears because <laughs> I could get it from the creamery. So I made up a list. I went through this little grocery store and wrote down everything they had and their prices. And then I knocked, like, 50 cents off of everything and took it to all my friends in Heritage Halls and said, the next time you need to go shopping, come talk to me. I've got a bunch of extra money. You pay me real money. And then I can turn my parents' hard-earned cash that fed me into slightly less real money that I could go blow on something stupid. And that's what I did. Oh, man. You know, Tom is also the person, Tom, I'm sorry, who realized you could resell the CDs that you bought from Columbia that you got for 50 cents, you got 15. And you could join that, get all the CDs, sell them to your friends for $10, and then quit. And so he always had CDs for sale if you wanted to get a CD for a couple bucks. So, <laughs> all right, back to my main tangent. Hey. So, regardless, for a sophomore year, I needed a job, right? Oh, man, um, I totally forgot. That's what we were yeah, talking about. <laughs> sophomore year, I needed a job. And actually, my parents were having some tough financial things at the time. And it really turned into, you need to get a job or you can't go to school this semester. You know, right? your sophomore year was my freshman year. They could have come to me. I could have helped them buy groceries. <laughs> I don't know if we could afford your loan sharking. <laughs> and so I went and during the summer, right before I started that year, I went and did all the job hunt thing. And I got a job through on campus at the library, which I thought would be a very good job for me because I was actually working in the right section. I was working in the fiction section, right? Where they actually had like the sci-fi fantasy books and stuff. And I thought, I'm going to be great at this job. I'm going to be helping people find their fantasy novels. I thought I was going to get a job at a bookstore. What I actually got a job doing is being a research assistant for the librarians, right? Are you nodding over there, Brian? But my job was, yes, I sat at the reference desk to help people, but mostly they would give big stacks of, of magazines, like catalogs. And the job was to go and search through the database at the library and see if we had the book, and if we had the book, cross it out, and if we didn't, circle it, so that then the librarians could determine which of these books in this catalog did their collection was missing. It was miserable. <laughs> like I've talked before, you guys, I don't think have heard this one yet, but like this is the definition of a miserable job for Brandon. Like I hate nothing more than work that uses part of my brain. So we have a whole thing on Potentially Blake coming up about how much Brandon hates choirs. I love listening to them. I do not like singing in them. And this job was one of those jobs. I couldn't think about stories because I had to pay attention to the, mag the thing, yeah. but it was not engaging enough to be interesting. Just enough of your brain yeah. so that you couldn't do anything else, but not enough that you were interested or have fun. Yeah, I would have I've had a much better time in a job doing yard work or something like that, where I could you know, listen to music and think about the story I was gonna write later on, or a job that fully engaged me and was interesting. This was neither, and it was misery, but I had to keep this job, otherwise I couldn't go to school that year. Turns out, when you're in a situation like that, you don't do your best work, <laughs> right? I didn't know it, but I was doing a terrible job of identifying which books they had and which they didn't. I thought I was doing an okay job. No, really bad job. And they called me in after like uh, a month or so, and they're like, we're letting you go. And I'm like, 
Do I not get a warning? They're like, you were so bad that a warning <laughs> is just, you are a round peg in a square hole or vice versa. This is a terrible job for you. You need to go find a different one. And they were absolutely right, right? I was miserable and they could tell, but that meant, oh no, I need to go home. I can't actually pay for school. They let me go right before the deadline when I could go home because they knew that I needed the job to stay, like the withdrawal and get your money back thing. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess I'm gonna have to go find a job and work. But then my roommate at the time, Micah, was like, hey, um, we've got an opening as a night clerk at the hotel. And I had applied for a bunch of hotel jobs before because I'd been searching for a job I could write while I was at work and I'd been turned down for all of them. And he was like, no, I've got an opening. You want to try it? It's only two days a week. And I like ran the finances. I was going to be in debt from student loans and things like that. But at least having something as a job was enough. And that's what got the job that I wrote all my books there over the next five years. I wrote 10 novels. I eventually went to five days a week because I did a good enough job there because that job was really good for me because all they wanted me to do was be a good customer service person. And I like helping people. Like that is actually fully engaging. If you come up and say, I have a problem, can you fix this? You get Brandon's full attention. And I enjoy finding creative ways to fix your problem. But that only would happen a couple times a night. And the rest of the time, I was sitting by a computer writing books. And so Micah out there saved me and gave me the job that got me. Uh, he was the assistant manager at that point. Or he wasn't even the assistant manager. He was just a- uh, what he was. Yeah, he was, just a, he was just like recommended me and I got the job. And so there you go. Not a funny portion of the podcast, just a, this is, uh, this a is, neat thing. This that is happened. a neat thing. So I will say that if you are in college and you're a nerd with a bunch of nerd friends, having a friend who's a night auditor at a hotel was fantastic. Because most of our parties would just be in the lobby of that hotel, like at midnight until three or four in the morning. I see Christy nodding over there. She was in our friend group as hey, well. Hey, Christy. And we would get together. We'd play magic tournaments for hours in the middle of the night. And every now and then he'd have to stand up and go help somebody. It was a nice lobby. It had a fireplace. It had couches and things. By the way, you guys should have Christy sign your Rhythm of War copies. She was my editor on Rhythm of War. So... You know, Christy is great. She's one of our friends from college also, um, professional editor. So I got one more and then we'll probably wrap this episode up and then we'll do the other one. All right. Awesome. I wrote down rental family. <laughs> rental family. Rental family. I don't know why I wrote it down. So like you've been lying to your parents for years that you got married and you have some kids now and now they're insisting you come home for Thanksgiving. So you're like, Call Rent-A-Family. Yes, something like that. Like, as I was thinking about it earlier, I'm like, what did I even mean? Did I mean, like, you could get robots that are, like, to pretend to be a family for you when you're lonely? Or is it like this? I had that idea. I'm like, you uh, have to have... I have no idea. I have no idea why I wrote down Rental Family. Rental Family. Yeah. The hilarious thing is, though, one time our mutual friend Eric, Eric James Stone, okay. asked for a writing prompt. And I opened up my sin. I'm like... I've got things. He's like, give me one that's just a couple words. And I'm like, all right. And I told him Vikings versus Cthulhu. And I told him rental family. Uh, like there, there's two of them. Super novel. He actually submitted us a story that was like Bjors Bjorsen and the thing from the deep. But then it just turned out to be a rental family story. That the, the <laughs> title was a joke. 
and he took it a completely different direction. He wrote a really great story. I don't know if, if Eric's here. He's, uh, he's, we've been on a bunch of panels and stuff, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if he sells that story. But I have no idea why I wrote that idea down. But Eric wrote a really great story. A using really the great concept. rental family story. Yes. And he fudged it. It's not actually a rental family. It's like this cool upload your brain sort of thing. And some of the family has uploaded their brains and needs to rent bodies to go visit the rest of the family because their uploads, like their consciousness is in is digital now. So they rent bodies to go to a family reunion sort of thing. So one of my friends is James Sutter. He's one of the creators of Pathfinder and big RPG guy. And I was chatting with him, like texting the other day and out of the blue, not connected to anything we were talking about, he texts in and he says, hey, so do you suppose that if we could upload our brains, that AIs would take those uploaded consciousnesses and just torture them as a form of digital hell for all eternity? And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Where did that come from? And He's what does that have to do with anything? Obviously a DM. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> all right. Um, I think we're going to go to our excellent outro now. Okay. This one's for you, Ben. That's our new outro. I'm sorry. It's terrible. 